Good morning. So there are loads and loads and loads of important things that we don't really know enough about, aren't there? Um, how many terms and conditions have you agreed to, having read them through thoroughly, understood every word within them, and agreed with every point? Almost none, I would imagine. I know there'll be like one person here who's like, I actually do that, and I do understand. But for, for most of us, most of the time, we don't do that. Our cars, our phones, our brains, we don't really know how any of these things work. We just know that we shouldn't bash them. And apart from that, we, just, we hope that it will work itself out. Uh, whether you are for or against the government's latest you know, attempt at Brexit, the chances are you can't explain it or why you feel what you feel about it other than it's Brexit. That'll be the reason you're either for or against it. No, I mean, I'm not sure even the people writing those policies know what it's about. And basically what happens is with all of these things, we know they're important, but we also know that we just don't have time to comprehend them. Uh, it's just a bit too much. And so we hope that we'll just be able to kind of get through with it, make it happen and you know, it'll be all right. That's essentially how we work with these things. What happens when we die is right up at the top of the chart in terms of its importance and quite often our ignorance about it. It is really important and we know almost nothing about it. Often that's the case and it shouldn't be. The amount of thinking that most people do about what's going to happen in the next life tends to depend on how good a time they're having in this life. If life seems inescapably awful, there's no hope of change, uh, you will look further ahead in order to find hope because human beings, are, they're like hope magnets. They're looking for it all the time. And so if it's not here, people will tend to look a bit further forward to see it. Many Christians throughout history have done this and there are many around the world today doing the same thing. But if your life seems okay overall right now, then your perspective is likely to be a little bit more um, short-sighted, if we can put it that way. Also, we, we, people tend to live longer now. There isn't quite the same sense that death could just suddenly come for, for most people. And, and one of the ways you can see this is you look back in history, look at the songs Christians have sung. Uh, in the past, Christian songs, um, they always had a section about what happens when we die. So they talk about now, but they also talk about then, whereas almost all the songs that are written now and almost all the things we talk about and look forward to now are in the present day. So I'd expect most of us here today, whether Christians or not, don't spend a lot of time thinking about the life to come because right now has a lot of interest and possibility. Or also, of course, because, uh, you know, we once saw someone try to explain it, we thought, I have no idea what that means. Just leave it and hope for the best. Well, the Christians of the New Testament, they were strongly focused on the future. That, that was what they were really all about. Not because that necessarily they were suffering at the present time, or, although it was true, many of them had to go through uh, persecution. But they were, they were focused on the future because that was a promise that God had given them. Um, we can find it recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. So Jesus has risen from the dead. And usually when we talk about Jesus, we say, yes, he lived, he died, and he rose again. Amazing. But this is the final part that's really, really important that the first Christians would have focused on. When Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
And so for the first Christians and many Christians throughout history, they, the way they would describe about Jesus, they wouldn't just say, oh, he lived and died, he rose again. They'd say, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. And once you realise that that's a key concern uh, of uh, the Christians in the New Testament, you'll see it just everywhere. Because the writer, if you were going through our reading uh, God's Word Together plan at the moment, we've been reading uh, uh, Peter's letters uh, last week or so, and they're full of Peter saying, and he's coming back, and he's coming back. And they lived with this all the time. And yet most of us know barely anything about it and aren't really thinking about it. And so today is an opportunity to put that right because we are looking at Paul's uh, first letter to the church of the Thessalonians. And in it, he talks a lot about uh, Jesus returning. And so we're going to look at that uh, today. Clearly, uh, Paul had taught this church something about it uh, because they had come back to him with some questions. They're like, we're not sure about this. What does this mean? Um, And so they had some misunderstandings and some uncertainties. They were not the last Christians to experience this. Almost all Christians have experienced uncertainty and misunderstanding about this. Partly, this is because the uh, the information God's given us was not comprehensive. And also partly because often when the Bible talks about this, it uses uh, what's uh, called apocalyptic language. And apocalyptic language is highly stylized. Uh, It's meant to give you impressions and feelings. It's not about detail. And if you come from a detailed culture or you think that you're expecting to read something in detail, you'll read apocalyptic and think, what is that? I don't understand. So, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 to 5.11, Paul deals with two questions. Uh, what about Christians who die before Jesus comes back? And when is Jesus going to come back? And we're going to hear his answers. So verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, i.e. those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you're not in the darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have much to say to us today and we have much to be excited about. And uh, so Lord, we want to hear it. 
Uh, we want to understand it. Lord, if we're a Christian here today, I pray that we would get great uh, thrill from what we're seeing and great confidence and great encouragement. Lord, I pray for those who are here who aren't yet Christians, who haven't put their faith in you, that today would be the day they realise, I must do this. So Lord, I pray for all of us that you'd open our ears and open our eyes. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, let's look at these two answers that Paul gives to uh, what happens to Christians who die before Jesus comes back and when is Jesus coming back? So the first question, what about Christians who have died? The Thessalonians had been taught to live in anticipation that Jesus was going to return. That was the message. He lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming back. And so they were like, right, let's, we've got to stay ready for that. And so when some of them died, those who remained were grieved and confused because they thought, well, if, if, if that one's died, does that mean when Jesus comes back, they, 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 they've missed out? Now, because we've had nearly 2,000 years of Christian history since then, we don't live with the same sense of imminent return of Jesus. And this question would seem to us like, well, of course, something must happen because loads of Christians have died before Jesus has come back. But we still need to know what's going to happen and what that means for us today. And so Paul's answer is still important to us. So he teaches that the resurrection power of Jesus is going to be at work in every believer, whether they're dead or alive. It says in verse 14 of chapter 4, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now sleep uh, is often used in the Bible as a metaphor for death. It suggests both a rest from hard work, but also uh, that there is an anticipation of an awakening uh, that is to come. And that's why Paul uses it here. He says, yes, they are dead now, but it's a temporary state. It's like they're only sleeping. Now, they aren't going to be reanimated. They aren't going to be like zombies as they were, but kind of slightly worse, but moving again. That's not what the New Testament teaches at all. Instead, just as Jesus was transformed out of the grave into new life, so they will be transformed into glorious new bodies. Jesus is the perfect prototype for all those who follow him. What happened to him will happen to us. And so we will be transformed. And it's just great news. So as we currently live, the powers of sin and death really have a lot of sway over us. We do things that we wish we hadn't done. We do harmful habits. We're like, oh, I've done it again, idiot. Oh, what? oh goodness. Mate. And then there's the darkest, worst things you've ever done that you desperately wish had never happened. All of those kind of things. That is what it's like to have the power of sin at work in your body. And that time, the Bible says, will come to an end. You'll be able to live perfectly as Jesus does. And then in terms of just our physical condition, from just general weariness, I imagine almost all of us woke up this morning not thinking, I'm full of beans, but like, oh, just some more time. So is it next, it's next Saturday, isn't it? Some of us will get an extra hour's sleep uh, and some of us won't. And even then you'll be like, I could have done with two. We have that just general weariness about us so much. From that to all the way through to fatal diseases. All the physical weaknesses and imperfections that we currently experience will have been destroyed. They'll be gone. God will have dealt with them once and for all. They will never return. Elsewhere, Paul likens this transformation uh, to like a tiny seed that's planted uh, in the ground. Um, it, they're very small. Um, so uh, gardening experts may know what that seed is. Uh, or people who like to have a healthy diet may know what that seed is. It's a sunflower seed. 
It's really small. Very, very, very small, small, small seed. And what happens, Paul says, seed is planted and then new life comes. What does it turn into? An enormous sunflower. Massive, out of all scale to what that seed looks like. Paul says, that's the kind of thing I want you to think about when you imagine your current body and your current condition and what is going to happen to you. That is an amazing transformation. And so the frustrations that we feel in ourselves at the moment, and whether you're Christian or not, I'm, I'm certain you're frustrated with yourself at some times. And I'm certain you wish your body wasn't in the condition it sometimes is in. And you think, I, if only it was different. And you think, why do I think if only it was different? Because you were made for it to be different. You weren't made to live as you are with all these weaknesses, both sinful and physical. You were made to be gloriously and fully alive. God made you that way and that yearning is in you and he will fulfill it for all those who put their trust in Jesus. So we're going to have new bodies. They're going to be amazing. And you'd think that would occupy our attention. Be like, man, look at me now. This is amazing. Look at you. This is incredible. It will not occupy your attention. It's, it's great. It'll be good. There'll be time to enjoy it, but it will not be what you are focusing on. Because in verses 16 to 17 of chapter 4, Paul tells us, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, this is a passage thick with references to Jesus' teaching, uh, particularly in Matthew 24, uh, and also uh, loads of Old Testament references that Paul grew up with. Let's just, uh, we're just going to hear and see two of them, clouds and trumpets. So firstly, clouds. Clouds often represent God's presence um, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, and not kind of like the rain clouds that I'm pretty sure there are outside right now. They're like, oh, well, they're there, okay. But the, the sense that they're, 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 they're glorious, uh, they're, they're wonderful. For example, there's the pillar of cloud that led the people of Israel uh, through the wilderness. When the temple of God was dedicated and they were all preparing to go in and worship God, suddenly God appears like a cloud and people can't kind of go in. So there's this magnificent sense of the presence of God. It is both seen and unseen. Now, a lot of Christian teaching and art has then taken this thing about clouds and says, yes, that's where we're going to end up living. And so, again, most people, you say, what's heaven like? They're like a cloud that people are somehow on. That's what most people think about. And Paul says that we'll be, um, we'll be caught up in the clouds and we'll meet the Lord there. And so people assume, well, what that means is that's therefore where we're going to live somehow. But I don't think that's quite what Paul's saying. Because I think what he's talking about is actually about how you greet the arrival of a dignitary. So, just to make it clear, the Queen is not coming here today. Uh, or at least as far as I'm aware. Um, and I would be made aware if she was coming because when important people come places, they let you know. And what we would have done is told you the Queen is coming and what you would have done is arrived early. <laughs> yes? <laughs> you would have done. Maybe we'll just drop that in once in a while and we'll get started at 10.30. But you would have all arrived early and we would have waited for her and then she would have come in. That's how in the West we greet dignitaries, isn't it? We get there first and we wait and then they come in and we're like, Brilliant, you're here. But in Paul's time, citizens of a city who knew that an important dignitary like the emperor or someone was coming to them would go outside the city gates and wait for the dignitary. They would welcome them outside the city and then they would come into the city with them. 
And Paul actually uses the word for that in Greek in this passage. And this really ties up with what the Bible tells us elsewhere, that heaven isn't a place that the followers of Jesus are leaving this earth to go to. Instead, heaven is coming to earth. It is coming to earth. It's going to cleanse earth of all its evil and it's going to remake it as a place fit for God and his people to dwell in together. Do you remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, he intends those prayers to be answered. And the way that happens is that heaven will come down. We will, get, we will be taken up to greet the king and then all together God's people will come down and it'll be a new creation. The trumpets make sense of this too. They were often used in ancient Israel to herald times of worship. They meant it's time to praise God. And that implied it means God's here. And also they were played just before battles. Most famously, uh, when uh, the people of God were marching around the city of Jericho, they marched round and round and round and round and round, and then they blew trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. So they announce God's arrival and his victory. Now, trumpets in the Old Testament were made of ram's horns or silver. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to hear what a ram's horn kind of trumpet sounds like. So uh, we're going to play that and we'll, it's called a shofar. <laughs> Imagine that rocking the earth. Now, because that's kind of, it's slightly culturally distant to us, which I think is helpful for us to experience that, because we usually assume everything's going to happen how we want. All the speakers in the world will not be able to make the sound of these trumpets when they arrive. It will be so great and so glorious. So the sound of a trumpet means that Jesus is here and Jesus has won. Now, will they actually be, is, it, is there a trumpet somewhere that's going to be played? Is it actually going to be a cloud? That really doesn't matter in apocalyptic writing. Because what apocalyptic writing is saying is that the point is, this is a victorious return. This is happening and it's glorious. You are going to know about it. There are sights and sounds which no one will miss. A few weeks time, we're going to talk about Christmas. And it's very quiet. And most people don't notice it. And even those who do misunderstand it. That's Jesus' first arrival on earth. The second will not be of the same order. In the second, everyone will know. Everyone will know. And you think, well, how is that going to work? Is it coming down a particular place? What's it? I think just reality as we know it is going to be ripped open and God will be with us and we'll all be there. Everyone will see and everyone will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. This will be terrible news for those who have spent their lives opposing him because there will be no escaping from his lordship. But for those who have trusted in him, faithfully held on when it was hard, it will be the start of a wonderful forever. Paul says, and so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Moments I mean, we are technically always with the Lord now, but we're not very aware of it most of the time. There's moments that we have, moments where we suddenly see his goodness uh, or his beauty uh, or his truth. Maybe when we were worshipping today, you're like, yes, he's so wonderful. That song has helped me to see that. 
Maybe when you read God's word, you'll read something, you'll think, yes, that is that. he's like that. I'm so glad he's like that. That's amazing. Maybe you'll see, uh, maybe we'll just do something unexpected in your life. Uh, you, you, there'll be a healing or, or, or a reconciliation or justice done. You think, yes, this is what God's like. I love these things happening. Maybe it'll be just you look back of decades of God's faithfulness. Yes, he's been with me. All these things and more will be fully happening in a way that's just far beyond our present comprehension. We will, we will see what we've only glimpsed. We will feast on what's touched our lips briefly. We will know what we've currently only begun to imagine. We've kind of seen some visuals, we've heard some sounds. I just want to stir your imagination a bit. And these little glimpses, these little things are just the briefest moments of what we are going to experience in unrelenting, ever-increasing power and glory. There will be joy and laughter. There will be satisfaction and purpose. There will be fun. It will be incredible. We will laugh and cry and laugh and there'll be love and love and love because God with us, the source of every good thing, no longer this kind of veil of our misunderstanding and our sin and our separation, but fully with Him and enjoying Him and loving Him and Him loving us and Him laughing with us and Him sharing with us and Him blessing us. This will just go on and 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 it will get better and better and better like a river rising with a flood and the rain keeps pouring. You're like, this is brilliant, let's keep going. Because like, we've got forever. Every good thing you've ever experienced will actually, it may have kind of pointed, it will be eclipsed by the face of Jesus. And no bad thing that has happened we'll be able to diminish the wonder. Often when we think about this future, we think, oh, but what about that? What about that? Would that just take the edge off it? Would that make it? Nothing takes the edge off the glory of Jesus. Because this is what awaits everyone who's put their trust in Jesus, Paul tells us not to grieve without hope when they die. And we mourn our losses and we, uh, we hate this temporary uh, tyranny of death. But we see past it. We actually see through it to this glorious and guaranteed future. And so even that, God is able to take and use for his glory. Uh, I'm going home straight after this service. I'm picking up a bag and I'm getting on a train. And I'm going down south to... Uh, See, my auntie, who's just been moved into a hospice, and um, I guess I'm going to say goodbye to her. And whilst I'm there, I'll be with my mum, her sister, and we'll talk about my dad's death, which is the second anniversary this coming Wednesday. And I'll have fresh grief, and I will continue to grieve. Many of you here know what that's like, and if you don't, you will one day. And so we grieve, but I... I do not grieve without hope. It doesn't mean I haven't cried. It just means that there's been something else going on as I've cried. That those who have put their trust in Jesus are taken to be with him. Sometimes think people in the technicalities, where will they go? And all that. Well, the New Testament simplest explanation is they're with him now. And he's going to finish it all off later when he comes. And that means we'll see them often feels like that would just be the greatest thing. Oh, we could just see them again. And again, as wonderful as that will be, it's just 
the slightest point towards the wonder of seeing Jesus face to face. So those are some of the things Paul says in regards to what happens about Christians who have died before Jesus comes back. Second point, and we'll have to race through it a little bit. When is Jesus coming back? If you need another reason to roll your eyes at human behavior, and you probably don't, but if you do, the Wikipedia article, List of Dates Predicted for Apocalyptic Events, is a really decent place to go. (laughs) Particularly because of the number of Christians who are listed there. It is astonishing to me how many Christians have said, then. It's going to happen then. It's going to happen on this day, that day, the other day. One of my old pastors had a book called, I think it was called, 50 Reasons the World Will End in 1984. By a Christian, you think, what? I don't understand because literally Jesus says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. No one knows. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's literally what he says. I think the generous explanation for why people do this is because they know that Christians are meant to live with an expectation of Christ's return. And so they think the way they express that expectation is by saying when it's going to happen. And I don't think that's what Paul says at all. Let's just look at kind of how this is meant to play out uh, for us. Uh, if you uh, come to Kings, you'll know uh, Dan, who leads the team here. He loves to think and communicate using uh, diagrams uh, and drawings and stuff. He's a visual a kind of uh, a communicator and uh, learner. And we have really helpful discussions often with a couple of diagrams that Dan uses. The first of them is the here to there diagram. We're here now and we're going there. And, and we'll ask questions like, how do we get from here to there? And what are we like when we're there? And that's often how Christians think of um, eternity to come. We're here, none of that going on, and it's there. And Jesus is going to take us there at some point, but never the twain shall meet. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches. And the Bible, what the Bible teaches could be described in another diagram that Dan uses a lot, which you can see on the next screen, uh, a Venn diagram. And that's not technically accurate, but the point is that the there, that heaven, the rule of God is breaking in now where we are. So we have worshipped God this morning here on the earth. There, there is something heavenly about that because God has been praised. But you'll have known the mixture of things in your own heart and, and what you were like when you came in and probably what you might be like when you go. You'll be like, well, this wasn't 100% heaven. Like, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't that good. Like, yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. There are other places in the city where you'll have been like, there's just no heaven here at all. And what you should think of that moment is oh, we want heaven to break in. And so this is kind of how we live. And Paul didn't, I don't think, knew Venn diagrams, but he was able to live very happily in that crossover, that now moment, which is simultaneously now and not yet. And that's what it means to live with an expectation of Jesus' return. It's happening. It's, go- it's, it's kind of happening and it's going to happen. And I need to live that way right now. I'm not just kind of down here on earth. Heaven's here. Heaven's breaking out. And one day it's going to break out fully. Uh, Jesus used this image, now Paul uses it. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Very few thieves announce to householders beforehand that they're going to come. That's just not what thieves do, is it? But he also says, you're not in the darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you. It would be kind of us. So how do you understand that? Well, he uses another imagery, uh, another image to help us understand that. So uh, a pregnant woman knows that labour pains are going to come at some point. 
But even now, with all of our medical technology, we can't know exactly when that will happen. And so Paul's point is that even though the timing of the labour pains may be a surprise, their arrival won't be. Do you understand? So something is happening. It's going to happen. It feels pretty imminent, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Oh, it's happening. So a woman who knows she's pregnant doesn't go into labour saying, this is entirely unexpected. So what Paul's saying is that we can't know exactly when Jesus' return, but we can and should be ready for it. That's the difference. We, so, and so there's a readiness that we're to have. So a readiness, Paul says, people who aren't ready for it, it's like they're asleep, picking up the sleep things, like they're asleep, and it's like they're drunk. And to be asleep or to be drunk is to be oblivious of reality and what's going on. And Paul says to Christians, you aren't drunk. You aren't asleep. You're people of the light. You're people of the day. You're sober. You know what's going on. And what's going on is that Jesus is coming back. And so you need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for that. Whether through your death or Jesus' return, you are going to meet him. You need to be ready for it. And that means today living in an anticipation of that. And the best way to understand that for yourself, think, am I ready for that? Is if Jesus returned right now, how would you feel? How would you feel about that? How would you feel about how you've been living your life? How would you feel about how you are right now? Are there things you're like, I never got around to doing that. I never got around to speaking to that person. I never got around to doing that thing that God told me to do. I never did. And now suddenly he's interrupted it. Now, obviously, the return of Jesus is an interruption at any point. But would you be ready for it? Are you living your life in such a way that the arrival of Jesus would be for you almost being like the thief and the police suddenly arrive? Would it be like that? Or would you be ready and waiting for him? At last, he's here. At last, the fulfillment of all the things I've been doing is here. Paul describes this. He characterizes it as faith and hope and love. He says that's what it looks like to live in anticipation of Jesus. And he loses it in 1 Thessalonians. He also uses it in Loads of other letters as well. And he says to us, encourage one another in this. Use these words, use these truths to encourage one another, to live lives of faith, trusting God, believing God now, investing now in the future rather than all your life in the here and now. That's what faith does. Faith says, I've got a much better place coming. Jesus is coming back. This, I can take it or leave it. But that I cannot lose. That's faith living, making decisions in accordance with the return of Jesus. Hope is this conviction and certainty that God is going to work for good. Maybe now, yes, definitely then. And so we don't despair and we don't give up. And we encourage one another by getting alongside each other and praying and sometimes just being there and sometimes giving practical support, but also saying, hey, here's our hope. The hope isn't that things will get better in this life. They could get worse. But Jesus is coming back, so we're hopeful. And then love as well. This just wonderful truth that all that God has done for us has been because he loves us. All that we're going to experience is because he loves us. Not because we're worth it or anything like that, but because he loves us. And so we celebrate this love and we share that love and we are patient and kind and forgiving and truthful and gentle and we go the extra mile and we do all of these things because he's doing them and we're going to experience that forever. That's really far too short a description of readiness, but I feel like for the most part we needed to be clear that it's going to happen. This, this is why people write stories that end happily ever after. 
It's because there is a happily ever after and it's coming and Jesus is the author of it and he's going to make it happen. Those longings are in us because God put them there that he might fulfill them and be glorified through them. And so wherever you are, wherever you're at, this is the the story that can be your story. This can be where you are going. And the return of Jesus can be something that you are so eager for and so ready for as you live a life of faith and hope and love.